Today we're going to be in John chapter 14. If you have a Bible, let's go ahead and open up there. It's a great chapter. And again, you know, I know most of you are aware of this, but just in case you're, you're new, one of the things we do here at Calvary Chapel is we just teach through the Bible. And so even like big sections, like normally you go on a Sunday morning and, you know, the guy will teach maybe one or two verses or a little section. And we actually go through like chapters of the Bible a, a lot of times. And so tonight, today we're going to go through a whole chapter and hopefully you're okay with that. Now, there's a lot here, but as we go through it, there were three things that kind of stood out to me, you guys. Number one, as we go through this chapter, we're going to see that he's preparing a place for us. And so Jesus is about to leave. And as he goes to heaven, he's actually going to prepare a place for his disciples. He's preparing a place for us. And so we'll talk a little bit about heaven. And then secondly, how he's preparing us. You know, we're going to see as we go through John 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, how the Lord is just sharing with them things that they need to know so that they would be able to be used by God um, between the time that Jesus, uh, you know, first coming and second coming. And so he's preparing us. And he's going to talk about prayer. He's talking about service. talk about the Holy Spirit. Talk about love. Talk about obedience. Those are ways that he's going to prepare them. Because remember, this is the night before he dies. And so he's sharing things with them. And so he's preparing a place for us. He's preparing us. And then secondly, in one sense, we should prepare a place for him. Did you guys know that when you become a Christian, God lives inside of you? God lives inside of us. And what we want is just we want to, man, we want to make sure that in one sense, we understand his love for us. And then we just love him back. You know, we love him because he first loved us. Do you love him? Do you love God? How do you know you love God? Well, I feel it. It's kind of like, ooh, yeah, the goose, whatever, bumps and stuff, and, you know, the, the emotions. And, and what Jesus says here, no, if you love me, the way that that's manifested and revealed is that you will obey me. Jesus Christ is the Lord of my life. That's how you prove you love him. And when you love him, what ends up happening is God will reveal himself even more to you, more to you. It is this beautiful, amazing, deep, intimate, personal love relationship with God. And he makes his home inside of us. And it's an amazing thing how those types of people who love God, obey God, have him revealed to them in a greater way. And so those are things that we're going to see. We want to prepare our hearts for him. And so notice what we read here in John 14, beginning in verse 1, where Jesus tells the disciples, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are, are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Now, I don't know how you would feel if, like, in one sense, like, the love of your life was leaving. That's how it was. Imagine how it must have been, you guys, walking with Jesus Christ. For three, three and a half years. I mean, this is not just a good guy. This is not just a fine fellow. This is God. 
and you're walking with him and you've he's the love of your life he's the hope of your future you put all your faith in him because he's the messiah the christ the king and you know man everything is there and then one day it kind of starting to sink in it's taking a little while for the disciples to realize this but he's going to die he's going to leave them and so um the lord here is kind of trying to prepare them for for this and he tells them this, you got to make sure, you guys, you got to make sure that you don't let your heart get messed up. Let not your heart be troubled, agitated, you know, and, and, and what the Lord says to them, he, he says to us, you know, for us, you know, thinking about when hearts are messed up, you know, people die. You know, that's the number one killer in the world, heart disease, heart attacks. I mean, you name it, the high cholesterol, you know, it ends up, you know, we end up having a stroke. I mean, conditions there. And the same is true in the church. The same is true. You know, the reason why certain people only do certain things is because their heart is not right. Heart's not right. And this is why, you know, people die. This is why missions, uh, callings die because their heart is messed up and so here the lord says i'm about to die but don't let it mess up your heart let not your heart be troubled listen this is how you have to guard your heart you got to have faith you believe in god the father he says believe also in me and what is it that we're believing in this case we're going to see so much but we're going to see the fact that jesus is not just dying he's rising he's ascending and he's going to prepare a place for them and he says and if i go and prepare a place for you i'm going to come again to receive you to myself that where you may be that where i am there you may be also what we find right here is that it would be very tough for these guys when jesus died and left and so what comforts us is the truth. The truth is what comforts our heart, not an emotional thing, just the objective truth. He was going away, but he was going to prepare a place for them. You know, we're not sure exactly what heaven's going to be like. Um, I'm going to go prepare a place for you. How many of you guys think it's going to be a big, huge you know, a 20,000 square foot mansion. How many of you guys think that? Probably not, huh? You know, as a matter of fact, the word literally means, it means dwellings, it, it means rooms. Uh, I'm not sure. Maybe you like chocolate. It'll be a chocolate room. I'm not sure how it's all going to work. Some people think, well, maybe he's preparing like a body for us, and that's our mansion, because in one sense, we're going to live in our glorified body. And so, again, we just don't know that. What we do know is where God is, we will be. And that's all that matters. That's really what matters at the end of the day. Revelation 21.3, it says, And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. You know, this powerful truth provides peace in the pain it helps our heart it has really the how the power to heal our broken hearts i'm going to do a funeral on thursday i'm going to do another one on saturday i'm attending one on friday you guys are the same place i'm at so many people are passing away 
And, and, you know, it's like, how can you offer any comfort to any of them as they're going through these difficult situations? And, and really, at the end of the day, the only comfort is that whole ministry and reality of reconciliation. One day we'll be with God and our loved ones in Christ who have passed away before us. You know, Paul said to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. He said in Philippians 1.23, I'd rather depart and be with Christ, which is far better. When, when we die, we go to heaven. We're with God. 1 Thessalonians 4.17, it says the same thing, that we're going to be together with all the other believers, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. 2 Corinthians 5.18 says that God has given us the ministry of reconciliation. And this is how we do not allow our hearts to, to be troubled. This is how we don't get messed up for life. We know that we don't just turn to dirt and then we're done. It's not some vague and empty space. It's that place of permanent residence with our loving personal God. Jesus said it. It's clear in the scriptures. We don't hear it in the world today. You go to the movies, and the movies tell you there's a whole bunch of gods, and there's a whole bunch of universes, and they call it multiverses, and you name it. I mean, there's a lot of crazy things that are out there. Listen, don't let the movies move you. And sometimes even the music makes you sick. you got to be careful with stuff you listen to. No, this is it, you guys. When the Lord was leaving them, he said, the way that you keep your heart healthy and strong is you understand the truth that we will be together again. We're good, right? And, and so he says in verse 4, and, and where I go, you know, and the way, you know. And Thomas said to him, time out, Lord, we don't know where you're going, and how can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. How many of you are glad that Thomas raised his hand and said, Lord, I, I, don't, I don't know about that. What, what are you talking about, Lord? Have you ever had an event maybe scheduled on your calendar and you're about to go, but you kind of like, hey, where are we going? You know, I better look up the address here. And you're like, you don't know how to get there, so thank God for navigation, right? And what, what, what we find right here is the Lord says, real simple, I'm going to the Father. I'm going to the Father and the way to the Father is through the Son. He makes it very, very simple. It's not a process. It's not a program. It's a person. His name is Jesus. He responds here with 18 of the most important words we'll ever hear in all of our life, where Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And by the way, there is no other way. There's no other way, Jesus says, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And this is the sixth of the seven I am statements in the Gospel of John. And, you know, for him to say this, I am the way and there's no other way. Read the same thing in Acts chapter 4, verse 12. There's no other name. Read the same thing in 1 Timothy 2, 5. There's no other mediator between God and men. He's the only one. Sometimes, I don't know if you ever talk to people, but they get offended by that. They're like, what are you talking All roads lead to God. You know, you just have to be sincere. You're a good person. You've never done any prison time, never killed anybody. I'm good. I go to church. I give in the offering. You know, I got my sacraments. No, it's not any of that stuff. It's a, a person. And 
His name is Jesus, and he is the only way. Uh, some people despise the fact that Christians say, you know, that, that heaven's gate is so narrow, they're offended because they believe there are many ways to heaven. But, ah, man, for me, I'm like, how ridiculous. I'm just glad that God made a way. And isn't it cool how he made it so simple and beautiful? All I need to do, all you need to do, all we need to do is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and we will be saved. Hey, don't let your heart be troubled. Don't let it be messed up, man. You guys as Christians, you need to have a strong heart. Yeah, people pass. Yes, Jesus, is he's leaving. But listen, it's going to be like that. Life will go, it's going to fly by like that. How many of you older people like me can, can testify to the fact that it's flying by? It's flying, huh? How many of you feel almost like, hey, I'm already 27, man. I feel like I'm... I feel like I'm running out of time. I feel like that. And so, you know, for us, we just got to know we're going to be together with our loved ones again. We're going to be with God. That's it to me. When you read the scriptures, this is so clear for us. And the way that Jesus reveals it right here, he says, in a lost world, he says, I, I'm the way. In a land of so many lies, I'm the truth. And in this death valley, I'm the life. And I will tell you this. It's a beautiful thing that Jesus says because, uh, you know, you listen to the news or you go to school, you get an education. Like I said earlier, entertainment, media, movies, all the stuff, all the garbage, all the lies that you will come across. It is crazy. You know, for us who, who know the Bible, and, you know, and, and thank God, you really got to know the Bible, man. You know, for those of us who know the Bible, we hear these things and we identify them right away. That's wrong. That's wrong. That's fiction, whatever. That's fantasy. But, you know, when our kids are exposed to truths like that and young ages there in school or whatever, television shows, Nickelodeon, Disney, you name it, what's going to happen to them? I, I thank God that, that in this land of lies, we have Jesus as the truth. You know, as Jesus is sharing these things with them, they should have known this. Look, it says in verse 7, if you had known me, you would have known my father also. Now, if you would go back to verse 4, and in verse 4, he says, and where I go, you know, and the way you know. Now, in the Greek, it's the word oida, and uh, it speaks of intellectual knowledge. And so when it comes to theology and doctrine and how to get to heaven, it's just this truth, this objective truth. We know, you know, that this is how we get to heaven. It's an intellectual truth. But when you get to verse 7, he uses a different Greek word. It's the word gnosko. And it speaks of a personal experience, a personal relationship, fellowship that we have. And that's what the Lord then challenges them. And if you had known me, you would have known my father also. And from now on, you know him and have seen him. It's in reference to a promise for the future. But then Philip then, you know, interjects and he says to him, Lord, show us the father and it is sufficient for us. And Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? 
The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. And this is why, same thing, I know Jesus isn't here physically, but let me ask you a question. Is Jesus here? Yes. And we're Christians. And we're supposedly walk with him. How well do we know him? This is a challenge right here that they had been walking with him three years and they saw all this crazy stuff and they heard his words and all that thing, they're preaching and you name it, but they didn't really know him. You can be around somebody and not really know them. Listen, what, what he's saying right here is, you, you guys, if you knew me, you would know the Father. And, and, and what we find right here, Philip is, is like, well, what are you talking about, Lord? And you just show us the Father and then it's sufficient and we'll believe you that, you know, you're really, 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 really who you say you are. And that's when, you know, Jesus says, man, Philip, you're man, so man, Philip. <laughs> you, I've been with you all this time. I hope that's not a bad word in Spanish. I just remember hearing it. <laughs> I, I've heard this all, all this time and you have not, you have not really known me. Because if you had really known me, you would know that I'm, that I, I and the Father were, were one. You know, he wanted Jesus to show him physically the Father. And Jesus here says, listen, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Not that Jesus is the Father. But here it is, their nature, their nurture, their love, their lips, their lives, their ways, their work, their walk. Everything is exactly the same in conduct and character. Like Father, like Son. Jesus had revealed the Father to them. You know, the Bible says in Hebrews 1.3, the Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. And knowing Jesus means that you know the Father. Not that Jesus is the Father. It might be good to look back there again at verse 10, where he says, Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? Now, you have some weird people out there, um, United Pentecostal Church or modalism, and they teach that Jesus is the Father, and the Father is Jesus, and there isn't really, it's crazy. But we look at verse 10, do not believe that I am in the Father. He doesn't say that I am the Father. That word in is there in the Greek for a specific purpose. And this is why I was trying to tell you guys, when it comes to being a Christian and the whole thing about being, you know, the, the saved, I mean, it's just crazy how it works, how the, the Father is in the Son, the Son is in the Father, and even the fact that God is in us. And in one sense, this relationship, this connection is so supernatural that we're in Him. Now, these are deep things that we don't completely understand, but we understand enough so that we might worship and that we might believe. And what we find here is in looking at these things, Jesus tells us, listen, I, I've shown you the Father. You've got to know that I'm truth from the top, that I've been sent by God. At least you can do is believe because of the works that I've done. That's what he says there at the end of verse 11. But then he goes on in verse 12, and he says, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do, 
because I go to the Father. See, all these things, guys, why we're here today is so that you would have a strong, strong faith in Jesus Christ. And you want to know something will happen to you if you have a strong faith in Jesus Christ? You will be strong. Some of us, some people, some in the church, they're weak, very weak. Why? Because their faith in Jesus is weak. But this is why he's sharing these things. I'm telling you this so that, so that you can believe in me. And he says, and if you believe in me, the works that I do, you're going to do also, but you're going to even do greater works. And for the apostles, of course, we know they did a lot of the same things that Jesus did, almost everything. But the thing that they did that was greater is so there on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, when Peter started preaching and 3,000 people got saved. Think about that. When Jesus was here, he had the 12, he had the 70, maybe the 120. It wasn't a large church when Jesus was here on earth, those that really believed in him. But then, boom, people started getting saved. And I tell you what, that's really the the, the desire of our heart. And we're going to see here as the Lord is commissioning the 12, he's about to die, he's handing on the baton to them. And I'm getting older. Some of you guys are younger I don't know how much more days I have. I might pass soon. I'm I'm doing funerals for people younger than me. Listen, greater works you will do. You will do as you follow God and as you believe in him. You know, we find it's it's cool as the Lord is sent. He's leaving. He's telling them these things in verse 13. And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Okay, so Jesus is leaving. And he's saying, okay, you guys, you got work to do. You need to turn the world upside down. Well, how are we going to do that? And he just shares all these things. One of the things is, is you learn to pray. And you learn to pray in Jesus' name. So you want the Mercedes? You just say, in Jesus' name. And you get that Mercedes. Now I'm just joking. That's not how it works, right? We're not like that. We're not naming and claiming. What does it mean to pray in Jesus' name? What we find right here is for them it would be new. For them it would be important. As a matter of fact, seven times in chapters 14 through 16, he says, pray in my name, pray in my name, pray in my name, pray in my name. So it is important, but exactly what it means. What we find is when we ask in Jesus' name, it has to do with our hearts being like his. So as we're making those prayer requests, would it be something that Jesus would ask for? Would this prayer request be something that Jesus would approve? You know, the way that it works, really, I think, in life is I go and I get on my knees and I start praying. I live my life and I start listening. You want to know what happens? God puts his desires inside of your heart. That's what happens. Prayer is not me going and getting what I want. Prayer is me going, discovering what he wants, him putting his desires inside of me, and then me praying and then him working in such an awesome way. You know, that's what ends up happening, you guys. You know, praying in Jesus' name is even John would later write in 1 John 5.14, now this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Let's just say your kids aren't saved. And, you know, you can pray, uh, God save them. That would definitely be something according to his will. 
But then God would even give you more specific things. God bring a believer into their life that would shine, someone that that would really truly love them. And Lord, bring them through. Have mercy on them, God. But, you know, um, bring them through the the trials because sometimes they won't open up their heart until it's broken. God, do something to reach them. And God then begins to work. I mean, prayer, the way that it works with the Lord is such an awesome thing. These promises are not just there. Like, make sure you don't have a lame prayer life. I mean, what he says right there, man, whatever you ask in my name, I will do. Now, there's something about this. Now, I will say this. I think most of us here at Calvary Chapel Almani, you know, we actually verbally say that in Jesus' name. You know, we will say that. You don't necessarily have to. Um, some don't uh, because they say, well, that's not really what this is teaching. And it's true. Like when I do the invocations for Almani uh, for their, you know, um, times where they ask me to do invocations, they tell me not to pray in Jesus' name. But I pray in Jesus' name anyways, right? <laughs> Because I think there is something about that. So again, though not a magic verbal formula, but it reminds me as I'm praying that, that there's power there and it's according to his will and you bring Jesus into it. And so you want God to move between the first coming and the second coming. You know, these are things that the Lord is going to tell us. You need to have a, a prayer life that's powerful. And one of the things that will help your prayer life be powerful is if you love God. And if you love God, you will obey God. Don't tell me you love God and you don't, and you don't obey him. That's what he says. Look at verse 15. If you love me, Jesus said, keep my commandments. Now, I will say this. That's why it's so important to read the New Testament because you might be reading this and you're like, well, the Ten Commandments are really not for today. There's only nine that are repeated. Let me tell you something. There are 800 commandments in the New Testament. 800. So, again, it doesn't make them love you more, but when you start realizing, wow, there's a lot that God says to me You know, these are his eyes, this is his mind, this is his tongue. I can't be saying smack. I can't be saying things, you know, that I shouldn't be saying. These are his feet. I shouldn't go anywhere or drink stuff or you name it. He he says, if you love me, you keep my commandments. And then it's so cool. The Lord says, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. The spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. Again, like I said earlier, there's a a lot here, you guys. Um, But when it comes to us being able to experience God and have him work in us and have him work through us and see people get saved and see people get sanctified and see like marriages last, you know, and kids, you know, rescued from the darkness. I mean, you name it, you look at these people on the streets and some of them strung out in drugs, mental illness. I mean, the demon possession, so many things going on. And you ask yourself, Lord, is there anything I can do to help? And God says, yeah, as a matter of fact, there is. I have a mission for you. I'm leaving, but I'm going to send the helper. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And all these things, Manny, you need to take to heart. You need to make sure that you pray 
in my name. You need to make sure that you love me and you prove that love by being obedient to me. I'm the Lord of your life. You don't call the shots. And then I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And do you read the book of Acts chapter 2 when the Holy Spirit came and the Holy Spirit transformed this guy Peter, this guy that would, you know, a 14-year-old girl came up to him and she said, oh, I know, you, you were with Jesus. And to a 14-year-old girl, a little girl, he said, I don't know him. What are you talking about? And he started, you know, cursing. I swear to God, I don't know that guy. Imagine that. But then when the Holy Spirit fell on him, homeboy got up in front of thousands of people and he preached with boldness. What's the difference? The difference is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's the difference. And I remember um, one time someone just gave me a simple illustration. I mean, you can look at any of these things right here and you unplug that TV, it's not going to do anything. It's not going to do anything, but you plug it back in and there's power. We need to understand that Jesus has provided the personal power of the Holy Spirit. So don't grieve the Spirit uh, through um, sin and don't, you know, quench the Spirit through unbelief. The Spirit, before you're a Christian, He's with you. And that's what He was with them. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit didn't live inside the people. He would be there on special occasions, come upon them. But there was just a random thing, very rare. But in the New Testament, Jesus said the Holy Spirit will be with you prior to conversion, convicting you of sin, showing you who I am. He'll be with you. But then the moment you get saved, the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of you. But it doesn't end there. Luke 24, 49 and Acts 1, 8 says, and then the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And that's what happened in Acts chapter 2. In John chapter 20, verse 22, the Spirit came in them. Jesus breathed on them and they received the Holy Spirit. But then later on, the Holy Spirit came upon them. And every day when I wake up in the morning, every single day, you know, I roll out of bed, as I've learned this, roll out of bed, I get on my knees before I go anywhere, before coffee, anything, and I ask God to empty me of self and fill me with the Holy Spirit because I have learned through all my multiple failures that I can't do this on my own strength. I need help. Does anyone else here need help? I'm just curious. We need help, huh? And that's why he says, I'm going to send you the helper. And he's going to abide with you forever, the spirit of truth. Think about that. I'm going to leave you, yes, but I'm not going to leave you orphans. I will, I will come to you. And so we read as we go through this. In verse 19, Jesus said, A little while longer, and the world will see me no more. But you will see me because I live, you will live also. At that day, you will know, you will realize that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. This is, this is amazing. He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me and he who loves me will be loved by my Father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus answered and said to him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. You know, what, what's he saying here? And, and I'm trying to just simplify it because that's pretty much all I can do. 
and and basically what he's saying is that if you if you love me then you're going to keep my commands my father and i who who are, are in you by the holy spirit and this is such a mysterious thing will reveal ourselves more and more to you you're going to start discovering who god is and how god is and just the beauty of his love he says right there my father will love you like if you do this my father will love you and and, and it almost sounds like, well, that means that he's going to love that person more than that person. But what it really means is just that that person enjoys God's love more than that person because that person is believing it, is receiving it. It's a different life. You know, you can have individuals that you're, you know, you know from a distance. Hey, how you doing? You have individuals that are acquaintances. But then you start getting closer and closer and closer to people. And, and what, that's what God is saying. That's kind of the, the, the way it works with us. Obedience keeps us in the sphere of blessing. You know, part of the blessing is experiencing the love of the Father, and again, it's not that the Father doesn't love everyone. It's just that the love of the Father is enjoyed by this type of Christian. That's why Jude, in chapter 1, verse 21, it says an interesting verse. It says, keep yourselves in the love of God. How do you do that? By faith, I believe he loves me, and by a love for him that has a heart for him. And so it's important for us to understand that. Again, all believers have the Holy Spirit inside of them, but, you know, when you live that life, I'm not perfect, but God, I love you. I know I was dead. I remember I was dead. And you gave me life. I remember. And I know you were nailed to a cross for me, and you bore the punishment that I deserve. And I can't even believe the depths of hell and the suffering that you went through for me love you, Lord. I love you, and I will live my life for you. And I will try my best not to think thoughts that I shouldn't think and look places that I shouldn't look and listen to things and say things that are not pleasing to you and do anything. And I will pray about everything because you have to lead my life. And you know, you just live your life. It's not a radical Christian. That's how Christians should be. And God says, when, that, when I see that in somebody and I'm living inside of them, God says, I'm going to feel at home in that person. You know, and, and I won't, it won't be an awkward relationship. It won't be strange. It won't, won't be bizarre. It won't be uncomfortable. God says, this is going to be just this, you know, deep and intimate relationship with God. And a lot of the times the problems that we have are because we really don't know God the way that we should know God. And it doesn't even matter how long you've been a Christian. You've been a Christian for, you know, whatever, 50 years. What matters is, have you been a Christian that, that knows his love, that, that loves him back, that is willing to keep his word? Notice what Jesus says in Ephesians 3.17. The Bible says that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love. That word dwell in Ephesians 3.17, it means that he may kind of like feel comfortable there. And that's what we want. 
You know, sometimes we go someplace and we haven't really settled down. You go to a hotel, you go to a friend's house, it's cool. But when it's home, you settle down, that's what we need. We've got to get rooted and grounded in love. Because look what it says in verse 24, He who does not love me, Jesus says, does not keep my words. And the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while being present with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. Now again, we're going to read this over and over again. If you love God, you have a heart to obey. If you don't love God, then you're going to see it because you're not really an obedient Christian and you need your love to grow. He says, you got to do my word. By the way, my word is not mine, it's my father's. And, and the cool thing is that we, we, we can never do this on our own strength, but he's given us the helper, the Holy Spirit, to teach us and to touch us. I'm weird, you guys. I pray certain things for my family and, and the pastors and overseers every day. I just kind of have these, uh, I don't know if it's something strange about me, but I always say for protection, direction, and perfection, because they rhyme. And God's cool with that, you know. <laughs> protection is huge. Direction is obvious. What do you mean perfection? That just means I'd be more like Jesus. Another thing I pray is that God would always teach them. God, you be their teacher, and that God would always touch them. Because you can't do what Jesus teaches you to do if he doesn't give you the power to do it. And so, Lord, teach us, because we can't do it if he doesn't teach us, and touch us. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. He teaches us all things. You know, it's interesting, later on in John 16, 13, we read the same thing. And basically it says, however, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will tell you things to come. And what that means is that Jesus was leaving, but he's sending the Holy Spirit. Listen, you're not alone. God lives in us by the Holy Spirit, right? And that Holy Spirit, he will be your teacher. Not Manny, not that pastor, not that guy that you like, whatever the book might be. Ultimately, he is our teacher, and he will teach us all things. And what Jesus is saying to his apostles is that I'm going to teach you from A to Z, from Matthew to Revelation, all 27 books of the New Testament. When Jesus was teaching them, they didn't understand what Jesus was teaching them. They didn't really understand. They didn't grasp it. But the Holy Spirit would come alongside. By the way, the Greek word parakletos, it means someone who comes alongside and he would teach them. Oh, this is what Jesus meant by that. This is what Jesus said. He brings things all to their remembrance. And that's what the Holy Spirit would do. And he does the same thing, I believe, uh, for us. You know, I'm going to tell you guys something, okay? So I want to encourage you. I want to challenge you just in case. I know some of you already do this, but when you wake up in the morning, roll out of bed if you can and get on your knees and pray. Then get up, make your coffee. How many of you guys have coffee in the morning? I'm just curious, okay, for those of you who do. And then you open up your Bible. I'm just in case, okay? And then here's the thing that I'm going to ask, though because I know a lot of you guys already do this, because I don't believe that I could stand before men unless I knelt before God 
And I can't speak and have a conversation with man unless I've had a conversation with God. So here's the thing that I'm going to challenge you in. When you read your Bible, don't walk away until you can say, God has spoken to me. I read, oh yeah, a couple of chapters here. Oh yeah, that was cool, that was cool. That kind of stood out. Okay, now I got to go. No. What did God say to you personally? The Holy Spirit will teach you all things. This is who we have living inside of us. It's just so beautiful to see the peace that Jesus offers. Peace I leave with you in verse 27. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. And again he goes back. Let not your heart be troubled. Neither let it be afraid. Don't let it happen. You have heard me say to you, I'm going away and coming back to you. If you loved me, you would rejoice. You'd be glad because I said I'm going to the Father for my Father is greater than I. I wonder how many people here today have peace. Some of you do. Some of you do. Because you know you're loved. And you know that God is on the throne. And you know that even though you can't understand a lot of things that are going on in the world, that God is in control. This truth, this sovereign grace, it provides peace. And I pray that you have it because life is hard without it. It is. Jesus wants them to have this peace. He doesn't want their heart to be messed up. As a matter of fact, you know, you're going to freak out that Jesus is leaving? You're going to freak out that he's gone? If you loved me, you would be happy that I'm gone. That's what Jesus says. Why? Because I'm going to the Father, my dad, my father, your father. I'm going to him, and my father is greater than I. And of course, we know that, you know, we believe in the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. They're all equal in essence and nature, but not in function and in office. And so the Father is greater in office. And also, some believe that's in reference to the fact that he's in a place called heaven, that that's a, a greater place than earth. Now, sometimes we get so devastated when a loved one passes on, and even as Christians. But Jesus here says something really interesting. He says, yeah, you say you love me. You say, if you really love me, you'd be happy for me. And so, verse 29, And now I have told you before it comes that when it does come to pass, you may what? Believe. 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 101 times in the Gospel of John. Believe. Your faith in the Word of God your belief in the Lord Jesus Christ will determine how strong you are. And just keep saying it over and over again. I'm doing this and I'm saying this and I'm prophesying this so that you would believe. I will no longer talk much with you, he says, for the ruler of this world is coming and he has nothing in me, but that the world may know that I love the Father and as the Father gave me commandment, so I do arise let us go from here. And what we find is it's going down. The devil's on his way 
the devil is on his way. Jesus is not afraid. He's got nothing in me. You know, I was reading that right there, and I'm like, Lord, I hope he has nothing in me. I hope there's nothing in me that would, you know, make me susceptible to demons or even the devil himself. But, but the Lord here gives us that ultimate example, and I'll just close with this, that he's about to go like David ran into the battle. He's about to run to the cross. And, and, and he says that the world may know that I, I love you. Here we go. And that's how we'll show the world, and not that we necessarily have to do that in that sense, but the witness that we have as people are watching our lives, that's how, Lord, I will deny myself and take up my cross and follow you. In the, in the Greek language, he basically says, I will do exactly what my Father wants me to do. And that's our life. That's our life. It's a good life. And so I pray, uh, you guys, we would understand this. He's preparing a place for us. How many of you guys are excited about heaven? It's going to be cool. He's preparing us. And so hold on to these things like prayer and the Holy Spirit and loving God and obeying all these things. But also, we should prepare a place for Him. And so, Lord, when you look at me, when you look at my life, God, I pray that you would find a heart, this home, that's right. In your sight, God, come take over. That's got to be our home.